Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Melissa and I are here in studio today, and before we get started on our episode, we want to share with you some exciting news that we have. We are now offering three to five day individual and group therapy retreats that are heavily focused on EMDR therapy and body work. So these retreats will actually include yoga, massage therapy, craniosacral therapy done by Melissa, neurofeedback, art, music, and so much more. And all of this happens while being immersed in a healing and therapeutic environment. Actually, while you're there, you get three meals a day, and the meals are specifically designed to heal and nourish your body. So if you're interested in these, you can find out more details about the experience on our website, which is beyondhealingcenter.com. Or you can email us with questions at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. Yeah, and we're currently taking reservations for a group retreat that we've got booked for January 24th through the 26th. And this is first come, first serve. And we do these in really small groups, so um, about you know five to six people. So um, that'll fill up really fast. So this is a great way to start 2020 off right, to set yourself up for a year of self-care and growth and personal development. Um, Or it may be that this is what one of your clients needs to kind of work through a stuck point and get to uh, the next level in their treatment. And potentially you would consider it as a holiday gift for yourself if you're needing a little bit of a reboot. So I get a little jealous of our retreaters sometimes when they're, you know, going from EMDR therapy to a prepared lunch to their massage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't feel bad for me. I'm well taken care of. (laughs) Okay, so in today's episode, we want to explore special considerations when working with sexual abuse trauma. So um, I don't know about you guys. I know my caseload is filled with a lot of sexual abuse trauma, whether Mm -hmm. that's the reason they come to me or in part of our work, we discover that that's, you know, some type of feeder memory or an experience they had in their life. So we want to just really explore what are things to keep in mind as we are working with this population. I want to say, in my opinion, the most important part of our work with them is really empowering them to have the control and to have a voice. So as much as we can in this process, giving these clients the power and the control. They were stripped of that at one point if Mm -hmm. they've experienced sexual abuse. And so to have that experience where they get to Um, have a lot of say, let you know when um, they feel uncomfortable or to stop or they don't want to move forward or we're asking them, you know, would you like to try this? Would you like to move forward? Giving them the voice and all of that is going to be so critical. Mm -hmm. And even with the really practical things, um, like if when we're doing bilateral stimulation and we're moving around in the room, we always tell them what we're about to do before we do it. Mm -hmm. Um, We try to, you know, not make a lot of sudden movements that might Uh, be uncomfortable for them. Of course, if there's going to be any kind of touching for BLS um, or anything else, all of that is going to be talked about beforehand and really just overdoing it with consent. Um, And it can feel like, oh my gosh, we're asking, you know, over and over for permission, but that is part of the healing and part of the therapeutic work that we're doing. 
And sometimes, I mean, they'll, <laughs> I have a couple of clients I'm thinking of specifically will look at me like I'm ridiculous mm-hmm. for asking those things. And I'll let them know, I'm going to ask you every move I make because I want to give you the choice. I want to that's give right. you the voice to say, yes, that's okay if you do that or no, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just letting them in on why I'm saying, hey, I'm going to move my chair two inches closer. Are you okay with that? Hey, I'm going to get up and walk over to the desk over there and get my papers. Do you feel comfortable with that? Mm-hmm. Um, it can seem kind of silly and ridiculous, but let them know why we're doing it can really um, empower them to say, like, I get to make these choices for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that my environment is something that I can decide. And if I am uncomfortable, even if it is because of something that seems relatively small, I'm allowed to do something about it and yeah. take care of myself in that way. A lot of these folks are really used to being railroaded and having their needs not considered. And so they're not aware that they have those needs, that they feel as unsafe as they do. So part of what we're doing for them is modeling what that can feel like and what that can look like in really practical ways so that when they're in a real life situation and someone is standing too close or touching them in a way that they don't like, they have had a lot of practice in voicing their needs and identifying what that feels like in their body when they're feeling a boundary violation. Yeah. I've had clients come back and say some of the most powerful part of the work that we did was the fact that, you know, I asked those questions or I gave them the ability to use their voice. Mm-hmm. Also, just like you're saying, they didn't even recognize that they desired that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, and at first it can kind of make them uncomfortable. Oh yeah. It usually does. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite homework assignments is to tell people to go to a restaurant and deliberately order the wrong thing and then have to change their mind. Not like 20 minutes later when it's, you know, really inconvenient for the chef. That's not what I'm saying. But like order something and then immediately say, oh, actually, I think I changed my mind. Yeah. I want this instead. And my clients hate me when I give them this assignment. (laughs) (laughs) Because it tells you, you know, it's okay to to change your mind. It's okay to say what you want or Mm -hmm. what you need. Your Mm -hmm. opinion does matter. Your needs do matter. Mm -hmm. It sends all of those very powerful messages. Yes, it does. Hey, and they come back and tell you they did it, install it. Notice that. Strengthen that. that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Notice that the server didn't hate you. Mm -hmm. Nothing bad happened. (laughs) Which kind of takes me into, you know, our next point, and that's the extended preparation. So resourcing really well up front so that as you get into these big traumatic experiences of sexual abuse, um, and even if there's multiple occurrences of it, that we we need to have the resourcing in place so that we're ready for it when it comes. We may have to do some on-demand resourcing or on-the-spot resourcing, but the more we can have front-loaded, the more prepared they feel going into it. So things like what giving homework assignments like that, as Melissa's saying, um, encouraging them to try these new experiences of using their voice, um, taking control in a situation, Asking them how it went, if it was successful, install that. Some people ask, what does that look like? It can be as simple as pull up the image that represents the moment you felt the most empowered or the mm-hmm. most strong. Tell me what you hear, what you see, what you smell, what you feel, and mm-hmm. do bilateral to strengthen each of those. What other types of preparation do you use specifically with this population? I think there's a, a few different ones that are just kind of a go-to resource, Um A couple of them would be a protective figure, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, somebody, you know, if they can come up with a real somebody, it's good. 
but even if they can't, for some people, it might be appropriate to do a spiritual figure like God, um, or, you know, mother earth or whatever feels nurturing to them. Um, and a protector could be something like a guard dog, or I've recently installed Thor with his giant hammer as a <laughs> protective figure. So it can be, um, you know, not a real person and something as mythical as they need it to be so that they can connect with it. Or it could be grandma, someone that they knew really well. But either way, them being able to connect with um, somebody or something that gives them that sense of nurturance or that sense of protection um, when we're dealing with sexual abuse, both of those things are such big themes for them um, that having a, a pre-installed resource that we could call in if we need to is really effective. Another big one is the adult self. Mm-hmm. It's a huge resource mm-hmm. for these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anytime we can use a part of themselves, maybe their protectors, protective self, their adult self, their nurturing self, in addition to other figures, it can be very powerful, especially if we're working with things like childhood sexual abuse, um, for them to be able to tap into a part of themselves now as an adult that has a protective quality or a nurturing quality, we may be able to use that as an interweave later. Mm-hmm. Some of this preparation is is about having a tool to use if we need it later, but some of it is just about tapping into the experience of feeling protected, right. of feeling safe, and, and learning that they can feel that now. Mm-hmm. The themes of safety, the themes of responsibility, um, those are two that often come up. And so looking at can they experience some type of resource that says, I can feel safe right now, or um, I can feel free of responsibility, I can feel um, free of that shame and guilt now and kind of tapping into that network that says they're able to experience that. Mm-hmm. It's like setting a template uh, for something that they didn't have a template yeah. for before and really, really needed. And that if we do that stage of things well, it really shortens and smooths the the reprocessing of the traumatic material, mm-hmm. um, which is why, you know, for most of these people that come in with this presentation, we're just going to automatically do some kind of extended preparation for them. And of course, the regular resources that we always use, containment, um, calm place or neutral place, those are going to be critical as well. Containment especially, somewhere that they can put the material um, that they have started working on so that it's not open and really directly affecting them in their day-to-day after they leave the session. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we're doing sexual abuse trauma, it's not something that they think of right now or often. It's something they've buried really, really deep. And so the process of resurfacing that, we don't want to see symptoms get worse, you know, while we're doing the processing in between sessions. So somewhere they can put that away. I've had a lot of clients in this population create new unique containers for this type of trauma. So the more general container they created when we first introduced EMDR, I will ask them again, you know, does that container still fit for this material or is there a different kind of container you would like to create for this material specifically? And a lot of times I have them come up with something new. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's almost like, um, it doesn't feel right to Mm -hmm. let those things mix. And we want to really make sure that whatever container they choose, if it's a new one, 
um, that it's nothing that is anything like a trash can, a dumpster, anything that would be dishonoring to their story. And that can be kind of hard for clients because on one hand, they just want to hate that experience. Um, And so we have to guide them a little bit and help them understand like, yeah, but when we're containing it, we don't want it to feel like this is something that you need to be ashamed of. Um, and usually they can, they can find something. And if you guys, uh, aren't used to using a container, um, there's a previous episode where we actually have a recording of a script of how to create this with somebody. Um, so you can have a look at that because it's something that Jen and I both do with every, um, EMDR client at this point, frankly, with every client, no matter what we're working on, um, because it's just so useful. And the other thing to know is that when we get into these really heavy duty memories, like sexual abuse, trauma memories, their container may not work the way that it usually works with other things. And do not be discouraged if that happens. Um, Nine times out of 10, if we go ahead and guide them through a process of kind of beefing up their container, making it stronger, maybe a little more elaborate, or maybe an entirely new one that's stronger, um, they will find something that will let them contain it. I've had, you know, for an example, people start with, a Tupperware <laughs> that mm-hmm. their normal daily distress can flow into and it's no big deal. So that works for, you know, conflict with my boss. But then when I'm talking about sexual abuse, a Tupperware just isn't going to cut it. So instead, we may put that Tupperware in a safe. We might build brick walls around that safe. We might add guard dogs in front of that safe, whatever we need to do. And we can get as elaborate and as detailed as we need to do and guide our client through that imagery so they really feel the layers upon layers of defense that they have there to keep that in a safe place so that it does not overwhelm them. Um, and if we you know, walk through this process and let it be as elaborate as it needs to be, I have yet to find somebody that cannot contain um, but it can take a little bit and we can, you know, kind of have to work with them a little yeah. bit to get there. It can take a lot of conversation outside of a script, mm-hmm. really like kind of almost a verbal dance back and forth mm-hmm. of figuring out what is it that they need? What, what do they feel like is preventing that from being effective mm-hmm. and helping them to be able to modify it to, you know, get them to that place where they're able to somehow contain it. I will say I've had a few experiences where um, through our work together, sexual abuse was revealed. And maybe they already you know, were aware of it, but they were able to speak of it for the first time in the work that we did together. And the idea of asking them to recontain that <clears throat> didn't work well. This mm-hmm. idea that I have just now revealed this, and it came up as a feeder memory to something else we were working on. And our normal approach to that would be, you know, does that feel okay for you to contain that while we continue to focus on this target here and we will commit to coming back to that. But it felt very dishonoring to say, oh, you just pulled that out after 30 years of having it put away. Mm -hmm. Can you put that back away, please? And so um, they were able to, instead, we were able to really honor the fact that they had the ability to share that, reveal that. Instead of recontaining it, they wanted to shelf it. So for Mm -hmm. this client in particular, they set it up on a shelf that was really high and, um, you know, they used their creativity to make it what was right for them. I had another person at a training actually mention extending it up on a balloon, beautiful, right. you know, creativity that can come with this, but somewhere where it's maybe not being closed back up, but it's just temporarily being set aside where we can really, um, keep you safe from it, but also honor 
the part that it's played in your life until we can address it later. And their willingness to share it at that point because yeah. it's such a big deal. It yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Well, so guys, um, before we go on to the rest of our topic, we want to share uh, something with you. Uh, we talked about this on our last episode as well, and we want to share with you again a really cool opportunity from someone that we've worked with that has been a great source of help for us. Her name is Katherine Keller. She's been like our go-to source for all things marketing, business development, organization. That's a big one, big time, help with the organization. Um, she's worked with hundreds of small business clients around the world, and she's also a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, so she's got a lot of experience. She's really focused on teaching small business owners how to work smarter, not harder. And that is really true um, of really streamlining your process and getting you to your goals as quickly as is reasonably possible. Um, she's really good at understanding that our to-do list is pretty overwhelming. It can be a mile long, if not many miles long <laughs> sometimes. Um, and she's very helpful in showing you how to automate things, how to keep things clear, simple, organized. Um, and she's helped both Jen and I as we're growing and expanding and trying to figure out how to do all this new yeah. stuff. Um, it's been wonderful. If it wasn't for Katie, we would not be able to do these retreats that we're talking about, mm -hmm. the trainings that we're doing, uh, the way we're marketing our podcast now, and all the additional resources we're able to put on there. So she has contributed in a huge way for our businesses even existing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure that uh, we would have as many businesses as we do if it wasn't for Katie. Oh, no. <laughs> For sure not. <laughs> and, you know, we might be a little nuts for having as many as we do, but we like to be busy. Um, and I think one of the, the big things that she has done for us is just introduce us to the wide world of helpful tools and automation systems um, that would have taken us hours to research on our yeah. own. But she already knows about those and, you know, takes the time to set them up for you and tell you exactly what to do um, and kind of guide you through the process step by step. So. We just wanted to share that with you guys. If you feel curious to check out our website, she has actually designed that and structured all of that. That's our Beyond Healing Center website. So mm -hmm. that will kind of give you a glimpse into just the tip of the iceberg of what she has to offer. And for our podcast listeners, um, Catherine's opened up limited spots for free marketing assessments for your businesses. So if you are a small business um, or, you know, a large business and you're working on growing that or getting more organized in that, I encourage you to check out this free resource. Um, if you're feeling completely overwhelmed, don't even know where to begin, you need someone to help you clarify a step-by-step -step plan to maximize marketing, to fit into your practice, um, to work with you on your budget, any of those things, this is the place to go. So she has, it's a free opportunity that she's putting out there for our listeners to learn how to reduce your overwhelm and to build your practice. There's only limited slots available. So first come, first serve, get in there, check her out, get um, on her schedule for that free consultation. You can visit um, katherinekeller.net backslash EMDR to reserve, reserve your free marketing assessment. That's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. K-E-L-L-E-R dot net backslash E-M-D-R. Okay, so kind of focusing back in on our topic for this podcast. <clears throat> one really great 
that EMDR has to offer all clients, but specifically this population, is that we don't have to speak about a traumatic experience out loud in order to process it effectively. So a lot of times when it comes to sexual abuse, um, sexual assaults, those type of things, there's so much shame that comes around it and an embarrassment of saying different parts of that experience or their thoughts or their experiences out loud. They don't want anyone else to hear it or to you know be in on that part of their story. They don't have to say it. And mm-hmm. I usually tell clients this at the very beginning. Now, some of them will still choose to, and it's part of their healing process is to say it out loud and to share it with another person to receive that validation and support. But many people are able to not speak any of it aloud or just certain parts that are too much to say out loud, and they can still process that. So as long as they are able to notice it in their own minds um, or in their own bodies, and then we can do the bilateral, they don't have to say it to us. That's right. And that's something that we want to tell our clients ahead of time Mm -hmm. because it's a huge relief to them. Um, You know, when we start talking about reprocessing their trauma experiences, the first thing they're thinking is, oh my gosh, does that mean that I'm going to have to tell this story out loud? Um, And so to tell them that right off the bat, that you only share exactly what you want to, um, can be a huge relief to them. I've had clients I've worked with before that the only part of the target I've known is, we'll call it, you know, the abuse experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know who it was from. I don't know how old they were. I don't know, you know, any of those details, but we have been able to successfully target the abuse experience and process that. It gets tricky. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep up as a therapist of where we're at, but as long as you're monitoring, you know, is it, are we moving forward? Um, is the disturbance decreasing? Are they bringing in adaptive, healthy thoughts, yeah. seeing themselves in a healthy way, seeing the world in a healthy way? Those are all the indicators we're looking for to say that this is effective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I've heard uh, some therapists at a training we were doing talk about developing a hand signal where Mm -hmm. the client can simply like do thumbs up or thumbs down to let us know, you know, it's getting better, it's getting better, it's getting worse, it's getting hard. Um, And oftentimes that's enough for us to know whether we just need to keep going or whether we need to slow down, take a break or do some resourcing or interweaves or something like that. Um, and so I like that idea of kind of developing a, a bit of a code to let them communicate with us in a less direct way. One place that this comes up a lot, um, specifically is with body sensations. Mm. So, you know, as you're processing sexual abuse trauma and the body is trying to process that as well, the clients may not want to specifically tell you where they're experiencing it in their body. Mm-hmm. So um, if you ask when we get to the body scan or if you're using an interweave to shift the focus, if you ask something like, where do you feel that in your body? I've had clients come back to me and say, like, I couldn't actually tell you out loud Mm -hmm. in that moment. I couldn't look at you and say. Mm -hmm. And so um, instead of expecting them to tell you, I may say something like, just notice where you feel that in your body. Rather than asking for the specific location with this population. Yeah. So that's something that you might just kind of keep in mind if we're checking out how their body's processing it. And when you get to the body scan, saying, you know, just scan from your, over your body from head to toe and just notice any disturbances and, you know, not expecting them to tell you where they're at, but just to notice if there are any. And if they say, you know, yes or no, if they do have disturbance, just notice where that is and go with that. Mm-hmm. So they don't ever have to actually report it or indicate where that disturbance is mm-hmm. showing up. 
because the reality is a lot of times, you know, it's in their genitals or it's um, in parts of their body that they're uncomfortable sharing out loud. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one of the trickiest things for them is when what they're sensing in their body um, is a pleasure sensation, which is really common for this population. Um, And so one of the helpful interweaves that we have and can offer to our clients is that our bodies are hardwired. They're physically wired to respond in a very specific way in a pleasure response to anything that is a sexual stimuli. And it has absolutely no bearing on desire or consent. Mm -hmm. So just because their body responded uh, with a pleasure sensation does not mean that it was their fault, that they asked for it, that they wanted it, nothing like that. Um, so that's an interview that we often use with this population because that's a pretty common uh, stuck spot for them. I have had so many clients who, when I say that, they're, they just tear up, oh, yeah. their jaws drop, and it's like this huge relief of mm-hmm. all the shame that they have carried in that moment of saying, because my body responded like that or because I experienced pleasure in that moment that... I am bad. I am disgusting. That I, I want gross. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I wanted that. Um, or there's something wrong with me for having that response. Mm-hmm. And so really normalizing that we're wired that way can mm-hmm. be so freeing for the clients. And that may mean that they have to process a little bit around a sense of betrayal by their body. Um, and, you know, that interweave can be really, really helpful for that. Um, other interweaves that help with that particular struggle are things like your body is just doing what bodies are meant to do. Um, you know, we're really grateful that you have the ability to experience pleasure sensation, right? That's meant to be a good thing. Your body was trying to, uh, do exactly what it was designed to, you know, those kinds of things can be really helpful if they're feeling that sense of betrayal by their Mm -hmm. body. There are several other interweaves that we can use with this population. And one is, we kind of label it providing an update. So in the midst of reprocessing, if they're getting stuck, they're getting blocked, maybe we bring in that new information, that psychoeducation that Melissa was just talking about. We may provide an update by stating something or asking a question that's not really directive, but helps to kind of pull out the healthy information we need. Like, um, so if this is related to a sense of safety, they're still feeling unsafe how big were you when it happened, especially in child, sexual child abuse? Um, and how big are you now? How strong were you then? How strong are you now? Mm-hmm. How vulnerable were you then? And how vulnerable are you now? So this is helping them to get an update to if we're focusing in on the direction of establishing a sense of safety now. So mm-hmm. that positive belief of I'm safe now, I'm okay now, I'm capable of protecting myself, whatever it is they establish in their situation. Another um, set of metaphors that we can use that's a helpful interweave is the noticing metaphor. And so rather than you know directing them with a question like, how big were you then? How big were you now? Um, is just to have them notice that. And, you know, there's therapists that I've seen that do this thing where they actually have them stand up and feel how big they are and maybe move around a little bit and feel how strong their body is now. Um, and really kind of get that body update of, I have grown, you know, four feet since that happened to me or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. Um, because anytime that we can involve the body in establishing that update, I think it's really impactful for them. Another of just kind of distancing, um, if they're getting into the experience and it's becoming too real, 
They're exceeding their window of tolerance. It's becoming too much. It's helping them distance from it. So notice it from a distance. Um, The train metaphor that we talk about, if you're not familiar with it, it's, you know, imagine you're riding on a train and you're just viewing this experience out the window. So Mm -hmm. I'll, in these cases, really emphasize you're on a safe train, you're on a cozy train. Um, you're you're perfectly safe just as you are, and you're just going to notice it out the window. And sometimes we'll say it's the window is four inches thick, or you know mm-hmm. the glass, whatever it is that helps them distance enough from it. It's just going to pass you by. Um, I'll tell them don't be in the experience, just be removed from it, and just notice the experience. So we want to kind of help keep them at a distant place where they're not getting too close into it, and they become overstimulated. Yeah. Other things like viewing it as black and white or um, maybe... Putting it on a TV. Yes. Turning the volume up and down. Yeah. Yeah. So any of those um, distancing techniques that you may have learned in some of your other trainings can be really helpful with this population. Mm-hmm. And once again, um, you know, we've talked about these resources before, but they get really, really helpful as those, you know, protective figure, nurturing figure um, and sometimes we'll have multiples of those, right? And there will kind of be this like team of superheroes that they can call on um, and utilize when they need to. And uh, including it might be your adult self, um, especially for people that are parents now that can kind of tap into that sense of protection and nurturing that they have towards their own children. That can be really, really useful to take that template and let them use it for themselves, for the child that they were. Mm-hmm. And one other interweave that you might consider is um, the let's pretend interweave. And that's maybe asking questions like, what, do you, what does your body wish that it could have done? So maybe they'd say, I wish I could have pushed them or kicked them or run away. And then you're able to tell them, I wonder what it would be like if you let yourself take that action now. And so where they're really doing it in the session, they may you know, take their hands and really make the gesture of pushing a body off of them or stand up and let their feet move as if they're walking or running. Punch um, some pillows. Punch some pillows, yes. All my pillows <clears throat> in my office have been punched. <laughs> <laughs> Asking, what do you wish you could have said at the time? And I wonder what it would be like if you let yourself say that now. Um, and so that could be screaming into a pillow or saying a certain thing some clients at this place will say like, oh, I couldn't say that out loud. So say you don't have to just notice it. And there's no, you know, there's no consequences or repercussions for anything you would want to say or do. Just notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really freeing for the client as well. Yes, it can. Well, so guys, this by no means is, you know, exhaustive training on how to work with this population, but hopefully, you know, these are some good ideas and some tips and tricks that you can try that will really ease the process for your clients and be supportive to both you and them as you're doing this work. Um, There's a lot of advanced trainings that are really, really helpful. So if this is a population that you work with a lot, um, please seek out that advanced training because um, they really need it. And there's a lot of really, really helpful tools and specialized protocols and things like that that have been developed that are very effective. Um, So go check those out and do your research. Um, So before we end, we also wanted to let you know that we are currently planning our training calendar for 2020. And we would love to hear from you guys. If any of you are interested in hosting a training or attending an EMDR basic training. Um, So Jen and I are approved trainers through the EMDR training center. 
And we've had a lot of opportunity to provide instruction at trainings all over the country now, Chicago, South Carolina recently. I was just in KC recently, uh, St. Louis, and of course, in our hometown of Springfield. Um, We do them here as well. So if you have a group that's interested in getting trained together, we're willing to travel to you. um, And we offer a comprehensive basic training that is completed in five days and includes your required 10 hours of follow-up consultation through teleconferencing. And if you're just an individual or you have individuals that you know that you would want to refer um, people to, you can uh, have them get on the website and look at all the different training options that we have coming up because there's uh, several different ones that are available. Yeah, so if you need any more information on our trainings, you can check out our website at beyondhealingcenter.com or email us at training at beyondhealingcenter.com. Thanks guys for listening in today on this episode. We look forward to more to come. We hope that something that you heard today will help you help your clients. Take care guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.